Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Wealth Investment Insights. The topic for today is the future of energy. We're going to look at some new emerging technologies, the state of solar, where we're at with batteries and what the energy industry might look like in the future. Uh, then, as always, we'll discuss our investment implications for Australia and around the world. My name's Sam Kerr, and I'm the Senior Advisor at Nucleus Wealth, and I'll be the host of the show for today. As always, uh, we have the Head of Investments, Damien Klassen. Uh, Damien, great to have you here as usual. How are you getting on today? Thanks very well, Sam. Good to have you on again. Excellent. Um, and also, our guest on the show for today is Bruce Thompson from Greensync. Uh, so Bruce has 25 years experience in renewables and energy efficiency, uh, which has been focused on integration and scaling the uptake of small scale technologies such as solar, PV and batteries. He's been an executive with GreenSync for the last five years, leading the commercial side of the business. Bruce, it's a pleasure to have you here today. How are you today? Really good. Uh, yeah, great to join you both. Excellent. Uh, so just a quick reminder before we get started, if you enjoy our content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and click the bell to be notified when we go live or have a new episode recorded that you can watch. Alternatively, follow us on your preferred podcast platform. Our show is available on all the majors. For those of you listening live, feel free to drop your questions in the YouTube live, YouTube live stream chat and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. Now that we've got that little bit of housekeeping out of the way, uh, we'll get into things. So Bruce, on your website, it states that GreenSync is a global energy tech company committed to digitally enabling renewable energy for a better world. Do you mind uh, just explaining what that actually what means is, and mean? tell us tell us a bit about GreenSync? Yeah, for sure. Well, so we're, our, our world is, is, in our world, we call it distributed energy resources, but but what we generally know is that there are solar panels now increasingly on our roof. Uh, they're a battery down the side of the house or an electric vehicle um, in our garage, as well as what's increasingly a, 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 a plethora of smart devices in our homes from wipe goods that are all internet enabled. Um, we have a platform called DEX. It's really short for Distributed Energy Exchange. Uh, and what that does is just like a phone exchange, uh, what we're trying to solve is an ability to have a standard way to register those, uh, those devices in a way that can enable those devices to be safe for grid connection, where they're, where they're providing a major injection to the grid, like a solar panel or a battery. Uh, where they're drawing a large amount of load, like an electric vehicle when it's charging, um, to meet the, the safety requirements of the grid so that we can avoid some critical constraints, but ultimately open them up for retailers to actually start to aggregate those systems at volume. And really where those retailers are participating in electricity markets is be able to optimise the use of those systems for the benefit uh, of their, their customer base. So that's what we do. We're like a basically like a big telephone exchange for um, the equivalent of uh, mobile phones that are now that are now sort of starting to become uh, common um, in our homes and in our in our businesses. And and I think just to, to put it from my perspective, you know, the, the, the big reason for getting Bruce on, you know, we've we've obviously run a, a whole series of these over the last sort of four or five years of, of various things looking into into the energy uh, sector, and you know, our takes obviously been that 
you know, solar plus batteries is sort of the killer app of this energy world, and you know, at the right prices, it's extremely scalable. And and um, but but we're not we're not there yet, you know, everywhere around the world. And it's really this question about what are the steps that are going to get us there, and and how long does that take? And so, um, you know, the big reason for getting Bruce on was, there just, was to talk about some of the technology and, and what we're seeing in terms of prices, because, um, you know, in our mind, I guess um, we look at, at solar and say, well, solar on its own um, in, in a sunny country is, if it's not the cheapest, it's very close to the cheapest um, out there. And, and so now the big issue is obviously the sun doesn't shine all the time and you need to get battery costs down. And if you get battery costs low enough and, and solar keeps drip, drifting away, then all of a sudden, um, you, you've got the, no more need for a lot of these other uh, technologies. And so um, it's a question about, is that going to take us 20 years or 30 years, or is it going to take us, you know, five years? And so, um, and, you know, varies by country, but I guess um, I, might, I might open that by then. So, so uh, you know, your thoughts on, in terms of solar, um, it seems to me that, you know, the solar costs themselves have sort of come down so far that um, it it's, it's low enough now that a 10% change doesn't actually make that much difference to the overall cost of solar. And it's more about the battery cost. I mean, is that, is that sort of the way you look at it or, or how do you sort of see the whole? Yeah, look, I think, I think that's right. We, we passed this amazing number last, last week, 3 million homes now have uh, solar systems installed. So we've got one in three houses um, across Australia with solar on their roof. In some states, that's that's even higher. Um, in Western Australia and Queensland, you, you're actually getting um, heading towards one in two systems in some some suburbs. So phenomenally successful, and Australia has been a, a really big success story. We're we're really ahead by per capita of any other country in the world. But in in some some cases, we're just ahead on pure numbers. I'm talking to some colleagues this morning in the UK, and I, I think that I'm not sure if this is right, but. I think we installed more solar in the last four months in Australia than than there are systems um, installed in the in the UK outright. Um, it's been phenomenally successful, and it and it's because we've there has been rightfully uh, a level of subsidisation um, from various federal and state governments over that period of time. But the supply chain has really worked, and it's worked in a really quite an interesting way in Australia. the The install costs in Australia are about a quarter. Uh, of what the installed cost is in the US. Um, right. So in, in California, which is, you know, it's got very proactive renewable policies, uh, quite an active um, customer base that's demanding that technology. Um, and so when we come back to the actual equipment costs, it's actually not necessarily the material factor. Now, you could argue that it is more material in Australia where we've actually stripped down and actually has been a real um, cost has really driven um, the market in reduction and, and it's been a very competitive market, quite a cutthroat market, I think, over the last five years. Um, but I think it's fair to say it's at a it's at a point now where you're right, it's a marginal, those supply chain issues that solar panels are going through in the in the last six months may impact at the 10%. Um, but the the average deal is still really quite attractive for for a household. You can get a system on your roof for less than five thousand dollars you can get um, a fairly comfortable payback within within five years. And so I think we'll just see that that growth continue. Um, for, and yeah. and, and the, the difference in cost between Australia and the US, what do you put that down to in terms of the install cost? Uh, look, there's a number of factors. There's, there's a higher level of, um, I think, uh, roughly red tape in terms of approvals processes. Um, the requirements that are involved in actually doing the design um, specification. There's higher um, cost for install 
think there's uh, a different approach to to insulation, which has uh, driven up the cost. I think there's also just a fundamental volume um, uh, issue that hasn't actually really sort of productized um, and been able to get the get those systems going as they have in Australia. Now that 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 will clearly change, um, especially over the big big uh, policy shifts from the Biden administration, um, as well as some of the larger um, the larger players now, large solar aggregators that are moving. But one of the phenomenal stories in Australia is it's the it's the least aggregated um, or consolidated, I should say, uh, service. I think really we don't have. I think the largest solar installer still has perhaps less than than five percent of the market share. Um, and so, whereas that's quite different in some other um, other jurisdictions, there's one, two, three. Sort of major players that are that are actually doing that that, that installation, and 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 so is that sort of just a matter of competition? Then you think that, that you know oligopolistic uh, can't even get it out, you know that monopolistic pricing. Let's put it that way. And is it's Look, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not. These <laughs> your, these your really customers. To comment. I think it is a number of factors. I think, and we'll talk perhaps later about how that market may change in Australia. Um, but I think it has been, you know, that that small companies, small businesses, small electrical contractors have been able to, to tool up to be able to train up and be able to put these systems in. And, and that's been you know, quite successful for some small business operators. And the way that the market and the wholesalers have been structured has, has really allowed them to do that. And we do have quite a diversity of product as well. We have uh, from the inverters, which is the key sort of smarts, we get panels on the roof, and then the inverters, the, the real brains of the of the capital cost. Um, we in Australia, we have you know uh, something like ten major brands that are competing, whereas in the US, eighty percent of them the markets with two uh, two inverter manufacturers. So right. there's, I guess, a number of those dynamics which have led to the to the Australian story. Uh, prices now in terms of the battery side because i guess that's i guess that's where i'm saying that you know that's that's where if you're a techno optimist that's where you're hoping you'll see the next sort of um you know some quite significant uh decreases in terms of the the cost there and um you know from other people who've spoken to it seems that there's very much a divergence now in terms of technology in terms of the um you know your car um the, the technology that's driving your electric cars is is turning to be in to be quite different to the technology that that's that's there to power houses just in terms of the the, the power needs is that I guess you would you agree with that and what do you see in terms of cost sides well I think um I think so what what uh, the, the big driver is still really around lithium um, we've seen you know lithium has become uh, the technology really of choice, I th and I, I think for the next five to ten years, it, it, it has dominated. It's come out of um, uh, a lot of mobile devices, electronics, as be both its its uh, power to um, energy density and how much energy you can store um, within a small footprint and within a light footprint, and that's obviously translating now to electric vehicles. Um, from a household's perspective, we, we, to get a system on the side of your the side of your house it's still ten to fifteen thousand um, dollars so it's a big upfront capital cost but the but the economics don't don't actually work the same way as as they do for solar um, the battery is still it doesn't quite still have that that killer payback um, that the solar does outright and so 
Um, from my from the work I do, the conundrum is we need actually more batteries to actually balance out the variability that we have in the grid. But from a customer's perspective, it's still not quite there as uh, as stacking up in the same way that solar does. So the big question now is, is the battery that people will buy, um, will it have wheels on it? Will electric vehicles and that interoperability between that car in the garage, the, the, the car that's not being used for 95% of its life, it's just sitting in a driveway or sitting in a parking lot, will that actually be, um, if we can enable those systems, to be actually to, to displace uh, just a static battery? Um, yeah, because I mean, and and the thing that I sort of wonder on that front is that uh, battery the the range anxiety seems to be a big thing in in cars, and you know you speak to people all the time, and the the issue's like, oh yeah, but what happens if I want to go six hundred kilometres, and won't will it do it, and all this type of stuff, and you're like, well yeah, but people people don't people generally travel you know twenty thirty kilometres a day um, at at most, and so that doesn't seem to be an issue, but. But I guess I wonder if people are going to have that same range anxiety as like, well, yeah, you could take 10% of my battery, but what happens if I really needed it, you know, and I needed to drive somewhere and I didn't have it? You know, I just wonder if that's that same anxiety will will, will um, permeate into the, no, no, you can't use my, I want my car fully charged Type thing. I yeah, look, I, I think I think we I think this is really at that early adopter stage, which is really really moving through. I think you all of the stories you hear is, is those those are anxieties from people who haven't driven an EV. Uh, and I think yeah, yeah. when you drive one, uh, when you when you're using one, um, mm. the the battery is about four times the size of of the standard residential battery on wheels. Um, we only use them about 5% of the time. And, and most of us in urban areas only drive um, those sort of 30 kilometres. Now, certainly there's people like me who loves to get away on the weekend camping and mm. I can't afford the EV of my dreams, but it's coming soon. I, people might have seen there's um, the General Motors launched the F-150 all electric uh, last week. There's a, I think the, the darling of the startup world in the US is a company called Rivian that's really chasing after that um, that RV market. So, so they won't be killing the weekend, but here today they really are, um, I think at that point for, for uh, urban commuting, I think they will really transform um, people's lives. Now, we've all gone through, I mean, people uh, maybe of my age have all gone through having your first car and running out of petrol. Uh, and and you only do that once, I, I think. <laughs> um, and so I think it's it's probably a, a similar uh, a similar experience. There will be some of those teething problems and user experiences that come up. But but EVs are, I think everyone knows are, are definitely coming. And uh, you know they've they've got the functionality, I think the the usability and that that capability. Uh, certainly with the the generation of models that are coming out now that are that are north of five hundred kilometres uh, range. Yeah, and and am I right in saying then so that you know that a problem you're looking to solve is this idea that if you can, um, you know, if you could have ten thousand batteries sort of sitting under your software, then you can you'll be able to sell it back to the grid at instead of gas peaking plants and stuff like that at the right time because you can say yes we'll turn on you know across Melbourne or across Sydney or whatever we'll just turn we'll turn on a thousand houses and, and pour that energy back out to the grid so that. So that you don't have to set, start up a um, you know a gas-fired power plant somewhere in, in in the Hunter Valley, is that the type of thing you're looking yeah, for? Yeah, look, look yeah. that's right. And look, and I think as the as Sam said in the intro, I've been in renewables for about 25 years. I'm very passionate about the mission about being 100% renewable. 
Um, the reality is that uh, it's not sunny when it's not sunny, um, and it's not windy when it's not windy. I think there's a there's a new German term now called uh, Dunkelflotter, which is uh, which basically means the dark uh, the dark lull. Um, but the flip side is that there are points in time um, and, and a lot of the focus our technology is, is supporting at the moment is we're having um, quite the opposite now. We're having peaks of solar during the middle of the day. In South Australia, um, we have hit records um, all this year, especially during spring where it's very sunny, uh, but there's just not that demand on the system. Um, so we fundamentally come back to electricity is, is very much about real-time supply and demand. Um, and, and it's really the, the conundrum that we need to solve is that renewables are inherently variable um, and intermittent. And so that's where we know, though, that the renewable hardware is actually cheaper. Um, it's now cost competitive without um, subsidies, and that will just continue to, to roll both at large scale wind and solar, as well as the, the domestic uptake um, of uh, rooftop PV. But with that, our role, uh, along with other technologies, is to make those things smarter. Um, and so we need a combination of digital technology to be able to automate when things turn on and off, um, to, avoid, to make it a set and forget from a customer perspective. And then we need to be able to deal with, uh, with storage um, to be able to displace um, fossil fuels. Now, fossil fuels are clearly pretty bad, but they are really good at storing energy. And that's one of the, one of the hard things that we've had as a, an industry to be able to, to, be able to yeah. transition to. I, I guess where I'm leading with that question to, to, mm. to hone you in a little bit more is, is um, okay, if, I'm a, if I'm a homeowner and I'm looking and saying, okay, I can, um, uh, you know, I stick, I stick some batteries on the side of my house. That means I don't have to pay for electricity in, in the evening, which is a little bit more expensive than, than during the day and, and all that type of stuff. And I go, yeah, okay, that, I've got a certain payback on it. But if I'm giving, say, half of that battery capacity to someone like yourself to say, okay, you go and sell it when, when the energy really wants, when, when the system really needs it, you'll get, what, 10, 20, 100 times more than what I'm going to get for it. And so maybe that sort of turns the equation in from maybe the battery costs don't need to fall as as far if I can give it to somebody who's going to be displacing peaker plants rather than displacing my own, you know, e evening yep. evening load. Is that yeah, the right path here? Absolutely, because um, with supply and demand comes, we've got a spot market price um, for that that wholesale value at that point in time, what's it worth? Um, and then we've also got um, ancillary services. Um, there's some exotic things and especially batteries uh, can provide to the grid to provide ability for um, system security and reliability. Okay. And through um, the ability for an aggregator or a retailer to be able to manage that manage those systems on, on behalf of the customer You've got to be able to optimise it to make sure that that electric car that we're talking about is uh, has got enough charging for you to get to the shops or pick the kids up from sport. Um, but at the same time, if you've got that capacity, then there is a series of retailers, and we're we're um, just providing the technology, so we don't have a we're not a market participant. We provide that technology for companies that are looking to to trade um, those those residential systems in in aggregate um into the market at those at those higher price points mm. but i guess we're so how far away are we from having this as a well sorry there's two questions involved i guess one is if the technology sort of was 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 pretty close to perfect um are we already at a price point where it would 
um, it, it would actually start making you know, sense for everyone to get a battery because um, you know the, they'll they'll make they'll make money from from selling selling it back to the grid and, and that'll that'll make it a no-brainer. Or do we still need both the technology to improve and price falls before it turns into a no-brainer? Well, we need, we, yeah, and there's a couple of other dynamics I'll add. So, yeah, look, absolutely, there's the there's the upfront capital cost, which, as we're talking about, for, for the batteries yep. is still, it's a, it's a little bit high for that more discretionary purchase, but certainly we'll see those hardware costs come down. Every, every graph that's out there in the industry really says that the actual battery um, sticker cost will, will decrease. Um, the, the conundrum that we have, especially when you're we're putting those technologies into households is a household grappling with both the capital cost, but the inability to necessarily um, trade that or get a certainty of the value of that system over a period of time. So we've got a we've got a spot market, a very uh, you know it's a very near near real time price, but then a very lumpy capital cost that we're looking to you know to try and get a return on over over its warranty life, which might be about ten or fifteen years. Um, so technology is rapidly advancing and there's uh, folks that are into computers like us that are working to make uh, each of those systems be able to be more plug and play. Um, but one of the one of the interesting challenges I think will be around financing of those systems where systems uh, and maybe some of the, the new retailers and I think some of the, the large incumbents are really looking at how, to, how do we finance those systems into households that we're part of that asset leasing that's providing the household benefit. The service is really, at the end of the day, what everyone's after is keep the lights on at a low cost, increasingly knowing that that's green, but not necessarily, I think, the, the challenge is whether, how, who will own those assets and, and how they can be actually financed to, to, better, to better actually trade that, um, that wider market benefit. Mm. And so is that the part where, as you're saying, you know, it might be that you come along and go, okay, rather than 15 grand, you give me five grand for the battery, I'll pay the other 10, but but I need to be able to, you know, take it down to whatever, 50% if I need to, whenever I want. Is that the type of... Yeah, I think that's right. And I think there's been a number of third-party financing in offers in, in solar, and they really haven't been um, taken up that readily. Um, partly because the cost has sort of come down to people go through the motions during the sales process, the finance is offered there, and then people end up, you know, putting it on on their card. Um, right. We are seeing a greater maturity and interest from banks in being able to bundle those with, um, you know, with the mortgage um, uh, as a as a as a mechanism. Now, again, that wasn't, you know, in my experience, hasn't been um, taken up so readily over the last decade, but it's reasonable to assume that um, as we get into a much more mainstream uptake of those products, that that will be that will be reasonable. I think the holy grail is potentially how that might get bundled with your retailer um, so that it is actually, there is a, there's a reinforcing alignment between having that overall responsibility for the service of your electricity. And just like we see with um, bundling of, of handsets for mobile phones, those kind of products are now fairly very standard um, uh, and they are a way to actually link the actual use of the service to, um, you know, to the cost of the asset. 
Um, yeah. We're starting to see that, I think. So we've got um, companies like Discover Energy, which are born out of a solar um, wholesaler, one of, you know, one of the largest wholesalers of the solar PV panels and inverters and now batteries to, um, to a lot of installers across Australia set up a retailer. Um, there's a company like Amber, who's um, in our room, uh, very much a digital native um, company that's got a retail license that's um, that's done a, um, a deal with one of the banks to get green loans. And then we've got a company called Bright that's come from financing, uh, has a major investment from Mike Cannon Brooks, and they've just uh, got a, uh, a retailer license. So I think th- those models will, will be quite interesting because they'll go from the very disparate solar installers, your um, uh, the, the electrical contracts is doing this quite independent of who your retailer is to starting to bring those uh, bring those deals together. Mm. Well, and you know that's that part where with uh, a lot of car companies, you know, over the last few 10, 10, 15 years, have sort of had that part where you know the finance division actually makes more makes better profits than the, than, than the car companies. It's almost basically yeah. a we're a finance company and we just need a we just need an asset to sell in order to to collect interest on it and so maybe that's yeah i've often wondered as to at what stage that turns into um you know that that same type of model as you said you just yeah we don't care whether we're selling a car or a solar panel or a battery or whatever it is we just need something to sell to in order to give people finance and collect money Yes, yes, yes. Okay, and, so Bruce, uh, Bruce, we've just got a got a viewer question here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just elaborate on on the question a little bit. So, uh, uh, so batteries and solar—they're obviously green technologies, uh, which are displacing sort of less environmentally friendly means of uh, electricity production. Uh, so the question is, who's responsible for the disposal of the batteries? And uh, does the components that go into making the batteries and, and then the disposal, does that detract from the green image um, that solar batteries have? Look, it, look, it's a very, it's a very important question. I, I mean, I think in any, anything that we have, the, the, what we call the life cycle impact of that, um, the full end-to-end is, you know, it's something that needs to be, Needs to be counted. Uh, the, we, the we as a as a global community are grappling with managing that that impact. Um, we have we will we don't want to be in a out of the frying pan and into the fire situation. But the drivers for I think globally um, at a political level um, and uh, at an economy level are really dramatic if we don't shift away from fossil fuels. Um, we're going to through all of the supply chains, whether it's batteries, uh, vehicles, um, our toaster, all of those things need to be increasingly taking into account the the life cycle impacts um, of those provisions. And and it is true that a lot of these products have rare rare earth um, materials that are involved, and they they do have uh, impacts at site during the mining process uh, and during extraction as well as um, disposal. Now, there's a lot of people that are putting a lot of work into R&D to, to improve those processes or provide, be able to provide um, materials uh, that are alternative to that. I think we've got, uh, you know, I'm very confident that we've got the right focus uh, as an industry to be able to have, to be able to drive that improvement and, and I think get the, the right market responses. Specifically for the batteries, um, we're, it, it's a it's a thing we're going to have to grapple with because we're going to actually have a significant increase in volume for electric vehicles. Lithium is going to be really uptake of lithium is going to be really really driven by an explosion in EV purchases over the next five years. Um, 
and uh, we all we will need to factor into that um, uh, recycling programs. There's, uh, there's a great um, startup here in Melbourne in Australia called Reelectrify, which is working on technologies to be able to take um, uh, batteries out of electric vehicles and then be able to repurpose them um, into uh, static batteries for for commercial industrial. So yeah, look, I'm uh, very much. It's a very good question, but I think. Um, we, you know, it's it's part of this uh, the challenge that we have. Um, um, I'll probably get a, it's along the same path. You know, I get I hear conflicting issues about well, certainly there's people in terms of cars talking about um, issues in terms of they didn't last quite as long. But on the flip side, you know, you see I've seen stats that sort of say, oh no, these things are actually are lasting longer than expected in, in a lot of cases, and and so that the you know well beyond the the the, the warranty periods. I'd be interested to hear which side of that you come down on and where you think the, um, you know, there's obviously different quality between different batteries, but but it, but in general, whether how long you should sort of factor into your numbers for, for batteries that you're buying today? Well, I, yeah, I'd, I'd be hesitant to give you specific advice, but, but everyone's had that experience, right? You've got a mobile phone. It's the same technology. The battery starts to, you know, get degrade over a couple of years. Um, the technology does, the, the lithium cells i'm not a chemist um yeah. but the they they do degrade and it's something where we'll have to factor in it was something that will become uh, i guess a factor for warranties um in those uh certainly in those products and uh and looking at ways that those those products can be cycled out that they become part of your your maintenance schedule for for that vehicle um, for example so sorry, you, it sounds like you avoided that question, though. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm interested in. Do you, do you think so? So that so the average warranty is, um, well, I guess, on on a home battery, what is it? Sort of eight or nine years at the moment, or or beyond? What's... Yeah, look, it it, um, it depends. I, there's two sort of two parts. Part of it is the the hardware. So for solar panels, the the you know the panel life is is sort of you can comfortably get it's ten years, but you comfortably get twenty years. Um, the inverters, uh, good inverters, are, f are ten years. Um, inverters are lasting about ten years. Um, for the cheaper inverters, you'll be at five years. Um, for batteries, I don't actually have up to date numbers on on the actual battery component. The inverter would be about the same. The good inverter, where you would get get ten years. Um, but I'm not sure. I actually. Yeah, I need to. Yeah, okay. I'll, no, I'll have a look up on the on the actual cells. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Um. Uh. So, in terms of the, uh, we spoke a little bit about. We started to talk about the the different battery technologies, um, between cars versus versus houses. I mean, have you got thoughts on any of that, or is that sort of not really an area you you guys delve into in terms of? Because I guess what I've heard from others is that it, while they're both sort of lithium, certainly. Um, playing a dominant role in both, but but the actual technologies because on the car side, you know, you need to get a lot of energy out very quickly. Whereas um, on the on the house side, it's actually about getting um, you know, energy out much more slowly, and so you can you can different technologies are, are better for for depending upon which one you want to do. Yeah, look, and this is not my area of expertise, but but mm -hmm. my understanding is really there's a there's a composition. Uh, in the cell production, and then there is really the the electronics uh, that are associated with the battery discharge are really optimizing for their different use. So, as you say, except if you need the acceleration um, yeah. in the car, but if you actually want to optimize um, over a, a longer period of time, but clearly in the car, the fast charging of those batteries. So, not actually 
the, the actual use of that battery, but how quickly you can get them back to full has really driven um, a lot of the chemistry and the electronics around that. And so we see that, you know, fast charger is really trying to get to, how do you get to 80% full in a short amount of time, knowing that to get to 100%, it's uh, it's got quite a tail on it. Um, mm. My understanding though is that, well, there's different composition of the chemistry that largely we're, we're talking about the same real type of, of cells that are, that are being utilized. Um, Tesla, for example, is is really using the same kind of cells in their in their small um, household things they call um, power walls through to their power pox, power packs, which are these mega batteries, um, as well as in their cars. Yep. There's a number of other materials that may come in, but I think that they are they're a longer scale um, that we'll see any of those other technologies really coming in at a at a consumer or a customer a household level over the yep. next five years. Okay, so, so maybe we should divert back then more about the, the more about the the nature of the the electricity grid. There's, I guess, one um, one take on this is that we're we're headed for a, a decentralized electricity grid where it becomes a lot more sort of you know microgrids of tens of thousands of people, and you know you can share batteries and all that type of stuff. But that's probably enough. You don't need to run big cables right across the country in order to hook these up. And another view is that no, look, this will you know you take take uh, advantage of the power of the sun moving east to west and you know you stick up a bunch of uh solar panels in the middle of the country that can help run sydney when it's uh as the sun's going down and 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 you know you, and and you tap in wind power from all around the the, the country so yeah the wind's probably not going to be it probably is going to be blowing somewhere in the country and so you have this sort of this 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 more um i guess nationalized grid versus this, the 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 smaller ones I guess where do you see, um, and where are you guys pitching your technology um, to to sort of uh, with those two different models? Yeah, so well, we we're we're a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B. So actually, where our technology applies is in 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 major major grids. Um, we I'd done some previous work in microgrid technology, but we our technology really apply, applies in really large grids like like the Australian national electricity market that's you know strings from North Queensland across to um, to Port Augusta. Um, the the fundamentals really come back to that um, that supply and demand. So if we come right back down to the household level to actually supply your house with a high percentage of, of its own power is, is becoming within reach. Um, but 100% is a really big number. There's a really big gap between 80 and 90% and even 95% and 100%. Yep. And actually, can I just, just to clarify, that's because you you want to make sure that you, you can power your house when the sun hasn't shone for a couple of days and the wind hasn't blown. And so you actually need way more capacity than... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so you'll get to a point, even if you were getting to 95% to do that, you'll have way too much during summer and yep. maybe not quite enough. It'll be the equivalent of range anxiety at home saying, you know, I hope, <laughs> I, hope I can power my, power my, uh, my Netflix this evening. Um, yes. Where I live in Melbourne, we don't need to do that. Um, there's a lot of programs I've been involved in over a period of time of doing that as a demonstration. I think to demonstrate that technology is is working, um, motivations to be able to be 100% renewable from your own generation is is certainly, I appreciate that aspiration. But if we're talking about scale, if we're talking about shifting functional grids to 100% renewables, 
the infrastructure that we have, the poles and wires that we have can carry green electrons just as well as they can carry um, fossil fuel electrons uh, down the pipe. Very interconnected grids um, are actually a great thing. It's a great way that if um, I'm not at home, my solar can be being used um, across industry. It can be charging someone else's electric vehicle down the street. So interconnected grids are actually a really critical part of managing um, the variability of renewable energy and are a critical utilisation of existing infrastructure. Now, the difference, though, is, is for some remote and regional communities, um, the technology that we have now that is quite cost competitive for solar and batteries means that it may be cheaper for some of those communities to actually disconnect that infrastructure and avoid the long-term maintenance of large, um, large distribution connections to yes. those systems. And, and so roughly... How many people do you think that it takes to sort of click over to that level in terms of where you'd start to say, okay, the fact that, yeah, I'm at home using my stuff, but but you're out and, you know, somebody else is, you know, like the, is it sort of 10,000 people or do you need sort of 100,000 people or is it, or is it 1,000 people? What's the sort of well, it's, it's, a, it's actually, it's a combination of, of that community's capacity to actually generate enough electricity. So it's got to yep. either have the panels on the roof, it's got to jointly invest in, in its own wind farm combined with the cost benefit of that existing infrastructure provider working with that community to say actually you know what i'm happy to help you operate your local grid and what we'll do is we'll cut the cord and so this is this is a very uh current um conversation in western australia so western power who operates um greater perth area they've got uh, a million residential customers about um a number of sites, but also have quite uh, regional areas that they still service through what we call long skinny lines. They're, you know, a line that might be 200, 300 kilometres uh, long that's that's exposed to and vulnerable to, you know, being knocked over in a storm, all of those types of things. That, that utility is now working with communities to say, well, how can we maintain that supply obligation that we have that's that 100% on or 99% on? But instead of continuing to reinvest in uh, this old infrastructure, that we put that into um, into renewable generation and storage programs with the community. Mm. But, and so but does, I think in that case, many, it really does need that combination. How many people? How many people though are they targeting? Because is it a? Is that just a? It could be a hundred people. It could be it could be a thousand people. Is it, yeah, in some, in some be, cases, no. In some cases, it would be. Uh, I think they're in in both those sizes. Um, yeah. There's a hundred okay. people, a thousand people, but it does really it really does depend on the proximity, the distance um, of that infrastructure, its status. Uh, those things will really com combine into that the overall business case. Right. Mm, yeah. And and so I guess where I'm and and so that I guess the logical steps in my mind anyway sort of go, well, if it makes sense to do that for a remote community today, and then you sort of move into at today's prices, and let's say battery costs come, you know, they they've come down what 90% in the last sort of 10, 15 years. And let's say they let's say they halve over the next 10, 15 years, maybe then it starts to become into um I don't know, pick a country pick a you know, maybe Wagga Wagga or something like that. You go, oh well, let's now. Now it makes sense to have them isolated on their own. And then as you sort of get bigger and bigger, it's like, okay, maybe there's. Do we need a link between Sydney, Melbourne? Like that sort of seems to me that towards moving towards the logic is moving towards more decentralised and just saying don't run these wires. Or do you think there will actually be this need to say no? We we still need a wire between Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, 
North Queensland because just in case, um, you know, the, the wind doesn't blow in South Australia and they need to pull in energy and just in case they have, you know, a, a, a dozen wet weeks in, or sorry, maybe two wet weeks in a row in Sydney and we need to ship the, the power the other way. Well, I think it comes back to the, the point we we're talking about before is it's it's really within touch to be able to supply the majority of, of your needs, but it becomes really expensive to supply all of your needs. Um, and so, look, I'm I'm a real advocate of putting solar on your roof and a you know and a battery down the side of your house. But I really like the idea that I'm going to be buying wind from you know down the west coast of Victoria. That that's that that's all quite fine, and I'm quite appreciative of the fact that that's probably going to be cheaper than me investing um, in 100% um, generation. Tripling um, the size of your battery. Yeah. 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 So, so at the end of the day, we've seen we've seen a really strong uptake in in solar, um, but they do become set and forget technologies. I think vehicles we have a totally different relationship, very much more emotional relationship, a much more um, dependent for lifestyle relationship with our car. But we still do have. Um, I think the drivers are still. I think for for most consumers is is having uh, affordable and reliable electricity, um, and increasingly knowing that you're doing the right thing that that is green. Now you can guarantee it's greener if you've got the panel on your roof, um, but if you're working with you know a retailer that is providing you a service, um, it's able to get you a good price for that. Then I think um, I think that that really works out, and, and ultimately where we've got. Um, urban density, those the connectivity of grids, the ability to import um, from larger scale renewable um, uh, sites where we have got a, a fundamental scale of economy for both uh, generation from solar and wind or large scale batteries will be a significant part of the, um, the story because it's not just about where we go to sleep at night. It's actually powering our businesses. Um, it's powering our industry. Um, we, we really, we, we yeah. really do that. The residential use is a is a big part in some parts of the day, but it's not mm. the full story, and certainly not the full story if Australia wants to retain a manufacturing base. Well, that that was where my next question was leading to for this. So let's say you were, um, you know, let's say I'm, I want to set myself up a uh, something quite intensive in terms of electricity. Say it's a you know steel recycling or aluminium or something like that. And I'm saying to you, you know, come and consult for me. I um, should I just go and build my own fleet of um, you know I could stick this out in the country somewhere. Should I go and build my own fleet of solar panels and just run it during the day and you know and a bit during the night? Or and just if it's if it's if it's not sunny, I'll just take the I'll take the pain on that one. Or should I actually go and make sure I'm hooked up to to the rest of the grid and and making sure that I've got um, you know I guess. There's a trade-off between me saying yes, I can go and build this and, and just produce it with really cheap energy for myself when that's when that's available. And if if it's not available, I'll go, oh, well, I just won't produce as much. Versus actually saying no, no, I need to go and spend more money to to say yes, I can produce, as you said, you know, eighty percent of what I need most of the time. And then every now and again, I'll just have to run off the grid for for the other twenty percent of the time. Look, I I think the same principles apply. Um, depending on how critical um, your production is and and how flexible it is. So we've seen um, traditionally when we've gone through heat waves in Australia um, over the last couple of years, we have a demand response program. Um, there's a reliability requirement that on those days where we're, we're fully maxed out, there's just literally not enough generation supply to meet the demand driven by air conditioning. We've, mm. we've asked and paid contracted large industrial sites um, to turn off. 
And then when it's all gone really bad, we've turned around to the smelter and said, hey, can you drop off um, for an hour? Now, typically for those large productions, that's um, that's a very expensive thing to do, um, depending on the industry. And certainly for smelters, you just can't turn them off for, um, yeah. for too long. <laughs> it stops melting. It gets yeah. And then a long time to start back up again. Then yeah. you're in big trouble. Um, yeah. But as we move to um, the potential to automate um, those systems that aren't reliant on necessarily the, you know, aligning with a shift uh, for workers or various things, we've got our flexibility, then we will start to see that. Now, one of the great things we have in Australia is it's really sunny in the middle of the day. And that kind of fits our, our kind of human work you know, time frame. Um, what we'll see, you know, we'll see if hydrogen starts to build as an export business will really be driven by, you know, the production of those plants will ramp up inherently and ramp down depending on um, depending on the solar generation. It becomes a, a question for um, a lot of um, companies. You will see, we're seeing a real shift for larger industries that are looking to do uh, long-term power purchase agreements with wind farms. That's been able to secure um, the ability to take to make the investment case for the, those infrastructure costs up front, as opposed to you build a big solar farm and geez, you hope the the market plays the the way that you uh, you set the forecast out. So. I think we, we have a combination of where those industries will, will reach, uh, increasingly reaching those power purchase agreements um, as business-to-business -business, uh, transactions to provide that supply, just like you might have um, supply of any other um, inputs to your um, to your production. Mm. Um, so in terms of the, you know, obviously the, we're going through this big build-out at the moment of the of the... Uh, lots, lots of solar power coming on. Lots of um, solar farms as well, and so and 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 wind farms. In terms of the people actually installing, I guess the the large scale ones. Do you think there's um, if is there is there any of these companies out there that you think are making a name for themselves in that, or or is that still quite a disaggregated market as well? Like so, not the residential one, but the actual um, yeah the industrial um, scale size. It was certainly like in the big paddocks, the big, the very big suppliers, very much the the big infrastructure companies um, are in that space. Um, a lot of a combination of large infrastructure companies and private equity um, globally are really buying into those programs, or rather, um, we, and we're we're seeing a lot of that um, across Australia in consolidation. There's. Um, a combination, though, where large um, large asset management companies are looking at these projects and saying there's a couple of factors that we're at at the moment. So long-term forecast says that we're going to keep going this way. Um, we have a couple of conundrums, though, for that investment. One is obviously um, policy certainty in Australia, which has been an ongoing issue around, around um, climate policy and its, and its interrelation to renewable energy. Um, one is getting the systems uh, actually getting connected. So we, we built our infrastructure to, to, to take the generation to where it's needed. We're, all of our transmission was really built around the source of our, our coal mining, either in the Hunter Valley or in the Latrobe Valley down here in Victoria. And so transmission connections has been a big, a big issue um, and the congestion of basically everyone trying to uh, get their solar system on at the same time has been a blocker. Um, and the third one has been that 
Well, we've had these large-scale systems, especially for solar. Um, wind is is a bit more um, uh, immune to this a bit because of, uh, you know, it can be windy at night as well. But the large-scale solar systems are now getting actually constrained. The experience we've had in South Australia just in the last two months is that there has been such a significant amount of electricity that the, the spot market price has been negative mm. uh, for considerable amounts of, of the day. Um, and so that's quite a new phenomenon, really what, happens if you're um, if you're an electricity retailer and you have a large amounts of residential systems it means that you're paying for the um, for their electricity that's being exported into the grid and the average cost we've estimated last year is about is about 250 dollars per household that's got an average five kilowatt size system um, if you're a large-scale solar generator during that time you really need to drop your system off because um, uh, you're not you're not making money. You actually have you're obliged to pay if you're if you're connected. Um, and yeah. So you want to avoid bidding in. And so those those issues we'll see um, start to emerge because they're really unsettling some people's long term forecasts um, for those large scale sites. Yeah. And we'll further, it- drive, further drive that 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 story about um, having a battery is not just wanting to sell when there's a high price, but actually wanting to to store it when there's a, a low or negative price. Yeah, I guess I guess in my mind I'm that that straight away says to me that that's subsidizing my battery. Like if I'm like if I'm one of those guys, that the, yeah. the deep the deeper that negative that becomes, all of a sudden, you know, maybe bat, the battery technology turns into yes, it's coming down in cost, but it doesn't need to come down as far in cost because it's almost you've got you've got this extra tax on on production that's that's sort of, yeah, going to going to yeah. improve the the, the economic yeah. value. Yeah, look, and, and one of the, I think one of the interesting things we'll see is certainly during those those what we call minimum demand, but the, those those periods uh, during the middle of the day when we've got high solar generation um, is that you can charge your electric car for free. Um, but one of the things that I think will start to emerge actually is that hot water will become. Um, a the way to way to heat up your your hot water system will be an electric system, and you'll you'll heat up your hot water during uh, during those during the daytime. And those kind of purchases at a consumer level will be um, you know be quite quite interesting to see how that starts yeah. to replace. But, but so, I mean, how how far away are we from actually being able to do proper time of day across Australia though? So it seems to me that that seems to, it's it's still relatively niche in terms of having the, all, everything set up to be a time of day pricing or, or am I wrong in that in terms of... Um, there's a, there's a, uh, we're very close. Um, it's something... So our technology and others are working on how do, you, how do you make the things plug and play? So you need, you need ultimately... We've, got a, we've, got a, we've actually got a really clear market signal. It's a screaming market signal now. Yeah, absolutely. In the last yeah. year or so. Um, but that signal's not getting through to... Um, uh, to the battery, or the battery doesn't exist yet. Um, it's not getting through to that solar panel to say, "Hey, maybe you want to stop exporting um, in the home now and charge your electric vehicle if you've got one, or just switch off for an hour." Because uh, so we, we, um, that that really is there's two things that need to happen. But there, I think we will start to see see this roll out in the next two years is getting the connectivity that that's the area that we're involved in to actually be able to plug the things in and have them responsive. Uh, and then there's the products, the actual tariff structures from retailers to uh, to customers um, that, that need to um, you know need to build. And those those two things go hand in hand. 
retailer needs to have confidence that the the household uh, system is going to be responsive. The customer needs to have something that's simple and makes sense, and they they feel like they've got trust uh, that this purchase that they've uh, invested in is um, is actually they're getting a fair deal out of it. Well, well, I know, but so I guess when I, what I'm asking that question is it seems to me still, and I don't know if I'm I'm mischaracterizing the most of Australia, but I, I I still thought that most of the Australian electricity relied on somebody turning up and having a look at a meter and or, or, you know, or at least sort of going, okay, you know, over a three month period, your meter's gone from or one month period, your, your meter's gone from this to this. And so this, here's your bill, as opposed to going, oh no, we're not charging anything during the day. If you want to run your dishwasher, then set your dishwasher or your clothes mm. machine to run, run at the middle of the day, then that's fine. You can have that for free. And then if you, but if you want to run your, your dryer at six o'clock at night, we're going to charge you extra on it. And, but that's, it feels like we're a long way away from that. Like it's been spoken about for 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 a long time. But... Yeah, look, n- not too far. We're really not too far because th- there has been a number of um, pricing structures. Because uh, which you can do if you've got a smart meter in your home, which in mm. you know across Victoria so, we we have. You can actually. So so what proportion have a smart meter of, of houses now? Uh, so in um, in Victoria, uh, something like ninety five percent of right homes okay. have, have smart meters. But you're certainly yeah. right. The data is there, um, but the uh, two things that happen, we haven't necessarily had the, the retailer deals that have that have necessarily matched that, and that there's a number of reasons why they haven't driven that. Um, but we haven't had it. It hasn't been easy for the household as well. So I'm, I'm an energy nerd. I'm right into this stuff, but I don't run around and switch things on and off. I, I don't look at my electricity data. It's a, uh, just pay the bill once a month. Uh, my wife pays it. You know, we, we, yeah. we, it's not a, there is, a, I think there is a need and a capability when you have technology to have that, that set and forget. But there's a need to sort of know that it's um, that it's actually you're getting a good deal. Now, to give you an example, though, in a lot of other states, the smart meters are now getting aren't weren't mandated um, to be rolled out as they have been in Victoria. But every time you put in a solar system, you need to upgrade to a smart meter now. So we're yep. starting to put the technologies in. There's a program that started in South Australia um, in January this year that requires every new solar system to be installed to be actually registered digitally. And to be able to be able to turn be turned down uh, remotely across the internet, if you will, uh, uh, to avoid an emergency situation where the system might go black. Um, the same program is being introduced in Western Australia um, from the middle of February, and we're likely to see those types of programs um, here in Victoria and Queensland um, over the next twenty-four months. What that does is starts to get the technology as a as a requirement that it's there as part of that install process uh, what that allows though is that it gives that capability now for those customers to actually turn around and be able to provide that same functionality that's required in an emergency situation to a retailer um, to respond to a, to a pricing um, or you know a high yeah. or, or low uh, pricing event at the same time mm. but that sounds to me as if well we're five to ten years away at least from a from realistically having a broad role like i guess if, the, if you're saying that's just being introduced on new builds well i don't know you're probably 20 years away from having saturation of that market oh uh, so so that's so, this is new installs of solar new installs, not, sorry new, installs, yeah not sorry. new homes yeah, yeah so we're we're talking and, and it, about and, um a couple of hundred thousand systems each year that would have that requirement um, yeah and if your inverters are lasting 10 years then you sort of got a 10-year cycle 
Am I, am I right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's true. It's a mandated requirement. Um, what where we work? So, what we work with the major inverter manufacturers globally. Um, where we've got partnerships with each of them, we're confident um, we can actually go back to systems that are in the field. So to give you an example, the the, the systems that we could uh, reach in partnership with is, a, is about a million systems um, that are out of those three million solar panels mm-hmm. can actually be contacted without a without a site visit. So there's a there's a latent potential there um, mm-hmm. of of that. Uh, ability to start to register those existing systems, but going forward, we're increasingly sort of mandating that that functionality is enabled um, during that that point of install. Mm. Yeah, excellent. Mm. Okay, well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, and it's, it's I've just, but I just want to sort of make mm. sure I've got, I've got this right because I, I guess I'm, I look upon this as a, um, you know. There's a lot of companies that are very heavily involved in that, this industry, and and as we're looking to invest and trying to work out where the where we're best to put our money, is it's the question comes down to time frame, and um, it it seems to me that sort of over the next sort of five years, um, you know, we'll hit this stage where batteries start to become a bit of a no-brainer for everyone in the same way that solar did, but it's um you know, based on based on the falls we have and and I guess some of the technological changes, but it also sounds as if we're at least probably five to 10 years away from having that broad scale um, uh, electricity systems really set up to, 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 to be trading it properly. Is that, and so it's, it doesn't sound like an imminent issue, but it's certainly, you know, it's a, it's a relentless issue, but it's, but it's not, we're not hitting sort of any, any major, um, uh, major changes in the, in the way that they're operating over the next couple of years. Is that, would that be- yeah, look, I mean, I, I think the timeframes are, are probably a bit shorter, but you're right. The the drivers at the moment from a hardware equipment perspective is that it's cheaper, it's it's getting cheaper, and it makes sense to reduce how much electricity you buy from the grid, mm. fundamentally. The ability to use those systems to trade into the grid uh, and get a really good deal. That's that's an immature space. That's that's where we work with a number of technologies to really bring that to a mass scale. Um, the change that we're seeing though is that the system technology to be able to do that is starting to be mandated now yes. uh, into into things. So you get you get the you go from having um, a uh, if we we use the the old systems were like an old analog TV. Um, then we all got a set top box to to be able to get digital TV. But now the equipment that you buy, you know, if you if you bear with me on the analogy, the the TV that you buy from JB Hi-Fi now is is internet enabled. You can watch Netflix on it out of the box. And so, technology capability to have the smarts to be able to do that is really starting to get baked in. And, and as I was saying jurisdictions are starting to mandate that capability um, for, for those investments. Um, there is a, there's a big question about the maturity of our market, which is really a, a, big, a big question um, around the policies uh, and the regulations that, that work through those types of things. Um, but I'd argue on the fundamentals, though, if we continue, which we will, because it's, a, it's a, a systemic change, um, to have the negative pricing that we've had across each of the jurisdictions this year. Mm. Um, I think that's really caught a lot of people by surprise. And if you times $250 per household by 3, household. 3 million households that, that have got wow. solar in Australia, that's, um, that starts to become you know larger numbers that will start to shift 
um, really start to shift the deals. Now, they might be a little bit clunky, the way that those offers come through to households in the next year or two, but that we'll really see that that uh, those types of offers really grow for, for households. Right. Okay. Okay. So the big change, so, so headed to sort of, you know, as I said, maybe free electricity during the day, you know, whatever, 11 till three, free electricity yeah. and right. And um, so, and in, so if I'm a retailer, then I'd be saying, well, you can charge your car for free. I've got a really great deal on this new hot water system. Um, if you want to replace your old uh, tank out the back um, and you can charge that for free during the day as well. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then, and 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 then as well, the bat the, the acceleration of the battery because we're saying it's no longer it's no longer just about the the cost of the battery coming down. It's now that the fact that these guys are going to, going to want to start putting batteries in so that they so they don't have negative costs. So so they don't have, exactly yeah. exactly yeah mm. yeah excellent yeah Bruce I've I've just got one other question. Uh, mm. So are there are there any new technologies that the general public might not sort of be aware about uh, that are likely to come to the market in the next few years, or any really significant sort of enhancements to the existing sort of green green renewables? Right, so I'm I'm really at the the end of the stuff where the technology is pretty mature and it's about how does it you know how does it scale. So I don't have that really good over the horizon um, goggles for anyone, unfortunately. Um, but I do, I mean, I, I do think, I do keep coming back to the impacts of electric vehicles um, uh, will be a profound thing. It, it's a very big, I mean, a very big part of uh, consumer spend uh, around lifestyle. But what happens with the electric vehicle when it becomes your power station as well? Um, uh, it will start to become a very material impact on, on the grid. Um, a lot of the other stuff, I think, um, in a technology perspective, it's the what we do is focus on the big lumpy things. So it's the big things that either generate like a solar panel on your roof, can store it, could use it like an air conditioner or an electric vehicle or a hot water system, where is where we're really focused on in terms of that benefit for the customer's overall energy consumption as well as the impact that they, they have collectively um, across the grid. Um, but within that, there's all sorts of um, smart bits and pieces. But I do think rather than a transformative technology, I think there's a lot of people betting on an extension of electrific electrification. So everything will go all electric. We'll switch off um, gas for heating um, and gas for hot water um, and ultimately gas for, gas for cooking. And so it will be technologies that are able to um, work in that space hot water heat, heat pumps, um, I think, will, will continue to drive beyond just having split systems, which has become a standard Australian way of life, into the, the split system for your, um, your heat pump for your hot water will be pretty dominant, I think, in the next um, five years. Excellent, excellent. Some, uh, some great insights there. Uh, before we get into the investment implications, if there's any uh, final viewer questions, please uh, drop them in the chat box below. Uh, and Damien, I'll hand it over to you for uh, the investment implications. Yeah, sure. Actually, let me let me think about that for one minute. I just want to. I'm still digesting a couple of things you just said. Maybe Bruce, <laughs> actually, maybe do you want to go to Bruce on on where if, they, if they're interested in more info or about what you guys are up to, or and sort of letting know what your um how how people can reach you if they're interested. Yeah, sure. Look, so um, a, a bit of background. We're a technology company. We're based in Melbourne. Um, 
we provide um, we're we're providing really services to utilities and partnering with those those global brands that are starting to become household names. Uh, companies like um, Tesla on the battery side, the major inverter manufacturers uh, globally, to provide them with um, with connectivity. Um, if you're interested in our technology or others, um, certainly check out our um, our website. Uh, and um, certainly in this space, um, there's a number of great Australian technologies. Um, there's technologies that are supported by ARENA, um, the agency that's responsible at government level. Um, there's probably an interesting one for um, investors to sort of look to and look at the trends of the types of technologies in, in the renewable space, um, into biofuels, hydrogen, that um, may be of interest um, to look at a bit further at that, what's next on the horizon. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, so Sam, I think I might. I'll, I'll probably. I'll just. I'll do. An, I'll do an abbreviated one because I've actually got a post on this that uh, I'm going to be putting up over the next uh, couple of days. That um, hopefully, sort of a bit more information for people. Uh, just sort of running through the the some of the, some of the costs. I mean, we've taken the view over a number of years now is that you know it 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 really is just about watching these costs come down and and that you you'd start actually hitting the point. Um, in the next sort of five to ten years, where the marginal cost, so so at the moment we we look at a, the cost of electricity, and any any and you weighing up how much does it cost to stick a solar power system in with a battery um, on on a utility scale versus the cost of running a, a, a cost of setting up a um, say a coal fired power plant or or a gas fired power plant, and we've sort of well we've well passed that point now in terms of the costs there. But in the next sort of five years or so, if costs keep going the same way they're going, and especially now I need to factor in this this negative um, prices we've been talking about today, is it actually gets to the stage where the cost of setting up a brand new solar plus sticking in some batteries is actually lower than 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 just the fuel cost for some of these power plants, and it actually starts starts to get to the point where you start saying, um, you know, because because the argument for a lot of these was, well, I've already set this power plant up, I've already done the big cost was a capital cost, and now I've just got to keep. You know, I might as well just keep the thing running for the rest of its life. But if it gets to the stage where you can actually say, well, no, it's rather than spending, you know, $100 a, a ton on on coal, it's actually better for me to, it's actually cheaper for me than just this running cost to go and, to go and um, stick a, um, a, uh, a solar plus battery farm in, then, you know, that actually makes some, some quite um, significant changes to, to how you view some of these electrical investments. Um, you know, we've taken the view that the uh, the technology is difficult in terms of tr trying to pick the winners in that there are so many different moving parts in terms of either even, um, you know, when you look at solar solar technology, whether you've got thin film solar, which is which is not very, um, uh, not very efficient, but it's very cheap in terms of actually putting it on places versus you get some really high efficiency ones, but they're a lot more expensive and trying to work out, you know, which is better, which is worse and, and which one's going to be the winner. Um, given the the multiple different technologies, and 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 the same in the in the battery space, is is actually picking winners becomes um, quite difficult. And, and we've been focusing on trying to work out who the losers are, which we think is a lot easier to pick in terms of going through some of the traditional companies and 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 looking at ones where you just you can't see that um, the uh, you know how much life they have to it. Um, uh, so, so yeah, so that's that's where we've sort of been focused is is on is on clearing out stocks out of the portfolios that we think are going to be losers, rather than trying to find ones to add in. We've got a couple of stocks who um, are involved in the, especially in the international area, in terms of ones that are involved in the electrification process itself. So, so less about the um, uh, 
less about the actual producing the, the, the goods that or producing the solar panels or producing the batteries and more about the ones that are providing services around plugging those into the, uh, into the networks and, and actually, um, you know, helping that interconnectivity issue, because that, that's one where at least we, we think we can see um, a, a business model that is, is more likely to, to survive. Um, whereas, as I said, trying to pick which exactly which technology is going to be the winner is, is, is a bit more difficult from that front. So, so that's sort of the, the broad base, but, but yeah, I've got a piece coming out, um, over the next, uh, over the next week that'll dig quite deeply into, um, it'll be, uh, probably end up being three pieces. I think one on the, um, electricity side, one on the, and, and the, the degeneration, another one on the, the electric vehicle side, uh, just working out where the crossover is there and how far away we are from, from, from that. And then lastly on the hydrogen side where, um, uh, it was obviously getting a lot of hype, lots of hype on the hydrogen at the moment, and I do think there are some a lot of genuine uses for um, for hydrogen. But I but I do think there's um, a I think there's probably more hype than what there is than than uh, yeah uh, yeah. Anyway, I'll go I'll go into more detail on that later. I think I think there's I think there's parts of it that are just overhyped in terms of the the hydrogen side, and I think there's there's actually more scope for me for um, I think batteries have have a much better. Um, have a, have a much better future. People, have, in, in some cases, people are putting forward use cases for hydrogen, um, which basically involves taking electricity, turning it into hydrogen and losing lots on the way, and then taking the hydrogen and burning it, losing lots more power just to get it back into producing electricity. And you're like, stick it stick it in a battery. You save yourself all the losses of creating hydrogen and all the losses of getting it back. And so, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll delve more into detail on, on a series of posts coming out over the next week or so. Thanks for that, Damien. Yeah, some great insights as always, and uh, I'm sure everyone's looking forward to seeing that content when it comes out. Uh, so now we have the question of the week. Uh, so this is for viewers to drop into the comments and have a bit of discussion uh, amongst yourselves. And uh, yeah, so the, the question is, what changes in energy do you think will be most profound? Uh, so what changes in energy do you think will be most profound? Uh, so yeah, feel free to uh, post in the comments, have have some discussion, get some discussion going. Uh, so that almost wraps us up. Uh, so thanks for joining us today, Damien and Bruce. Uh, thanks again to everyone who's watched this episode live and to all those that have asked questions along the way or watched the replay. We do welcome your feedback on the show, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. Uh, if you do have any ideas, please drop it in the YouTube comments section. Uh, below or send us an email at contact at nucleuswealth.com. Don't forget to like the video now. And finally, if you know of anyone that might benefit from this uh, today's episode, we'd appreciate it if you share it with them. Please check out our website at nucleuswealth.com. And if you'd like to see some more of our previous content, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash content. To stay up to date with news from us, you can also uh, follow us on social media. Thanks again for tuning in. From myself, Damien, Bruce, and the rest of the team, we look forward to seeing you again at the next, next episode, and bye for now.